This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, January 11th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. The United States has remained engaged with Russia's war in Ukraine, though avoiding more direct hostilities with Russia seems preferable to just about everyone. Cato's Eric Gomez discusses what the U.S. has already dispatched to help with Ukraine's defense and what hardware or U.S. demands would signal a clear escalation. We spoke Monday. Lots of people are very supportive of the efforts of Ukraine to beat back the uh, Russian military in in its attempt to just seize the country on behalf of uh, Mother Russia. And there are a lot of Americans who believe, hey, this this is probably a legitimate fight. And uh, we are supportive of this country asserting itself and uh, saying, no, you don't own this country. This is a separate country. You have your own country. Please go home. Uh, and yet, do not want the United States to be actively involved in this uh, protracted, now almost a year-long effort to uh, repel the, uh, I was going to say Soviet army, but the, but I, and I'm sure some of the equipment is Soviet, but um, uh, the, repel the Russian army. Um, where do you draw those lines for U.S. involvement? Obviously, we're already involved in a sense. We're providing uh, equipment, uh, small arms, and uh, some what? What are we providing? Oh, lots of fun things. Uh, so we're providing small arms, artillery systems, rocket artillery. Uh, now with the latest package of deliveries, the U.S. is sending uh, Bradley armored fighting vehicles as well. So we're in it, right? Uh, I believe up to now, uh, the current U.S. contribution in terms of security assistance is somewhere north or, or close to $25 billion, which would make Ukraine uh, a very su- substantial military indeed, just from the United States alone. And, you know, this is raising some questions as as the war drags on of how much, how long, and to what end. In terms of the people that you mentioned that are supportive of Ukraine, but also trying to keep U.S. involvement at a level that doesn't provoke a U.S.-Russia war, is the president, right? The Biden Biden himself has said, we don't want to get directly involved in this. We don't want, you know, U.S. soldiers in Ukraine and we don't want to have a U.S. NATO or a, a NATO Russia conflict, and so far that's kind of worked, right? That we've been supporting Ukraine with these defense equipment, and in a way that doesn't sort of enmesh us more fully in the war itself. Um, but as it, yeah, it's going to hit its first year uh, late next month and, and near the end of February, twenty twenty three, and. We're kind of in this stalemate position, uh, and it's, I don't know, I, I, I think this is going to last this way for a very long time, and the question then becomes, well, how long can the U.S. sustain what it's doing? Um, what are our goals versus Ukrainian goals in this conflict? And if there is daylight between those goals, how does it manifest itself? So uh, we'll get, well, I do want to get to some of that, but uh, to the extent that the U.S. may enmesh itself further in this conflict, uh, what are the 
pieces of equipment that would clearly signal to Russia the United States is actively involved in this war. The Russians say we're actively involved just by sending any weapons at all. Uh, right, but, <laughs> so, but, right. That, that's yeah. right. Sure. But but to the extent that we are providing weapons that can reach into Russia, that can uh, that at, at that point, the U.S. seems, at least to, to my mind, to be more clearly involved in mm-hmm. a proxy war with Russia. Mm hmm. Yes. So far, the United States has avoided sending anything to Ukraine that could be used to reach out and hit targets in Russian territory. And we have told the U- or the U.S. government has communicated to the Ukrainians, we don't want you to do that with our stuff, right? Because the use of U.S. systems to attack targets in Russia would be a significant escalation of the war. So far, Ukraine has done some things to target stuff in Russia, not using stuff that we have provided them. Uh, It seems that way. Hard to verify that. (laughs) Uh, And when Ukrainians have done things in Russian territory, the U.S. is kind of there's been some news reporting saying U.S. officials told the Ukrainians, hey, be very careful here. Right. Like, do not get us entrapped in something that we don't want to be a part of. Uh, And I think the with the Bradley sale, because that's been in the news uh, recently, right? The sale of armored fighting vehicles, you know, quasi tank type equipment to the Ukrainians. I think that's consistent with U.S. with U.S. Uh, standing practice, right? Could they use those tanks to get into Russia? Yes. But given where the front lines are, given how the battlefield is looking, that's not going to happen anytime soon. And so I think that the U.S. is going to continue sort of walking this tightrope of saying, yes, we're going to supply Ukraine, but we're also going to not give them tools that they can use to reach into Russia. If we did start giving them that type of equipment, longer range missile systems, um, aircraft, especially that would be, you know, I, I would consider that a sort of decisive escalation of U.S. involvement in the war, in which case I would start to get very nervous about how the Russians might react uh, to that. What are the legitimate U.S. goals with respect to this conflict? In in my mind, I think the the U.S. goals ought to be resolving this conflict um, in a way that gets the fighting stopped quickly. Um, I think Ukrainian goals here are Evict the Russians com- entirely from Ukraine, including Crimea, and imposing some sort of settlement that sort of permanently weakens Russia to the greatest extent possible. Which, yeah, if I was Ukraine, I'd probably want the same thing. Um, and I think the Russians are on the opposite end of they want to gobble up as much as Ukrainian territory as they possibly can. And sort of force the Ukrainian government to accept terms on their side. I think the U.S. as a as a member of this conflict, right, as an important player here, um, I don't know if our interests are the same as Ukraine's in the sense that I think the process of evicting Russian forces entirely from Ukraine is going to be very costly, both for the Ukrainians and for U.S. in terms of just dollar and equipment support. It also might carry higher risks of Russia 
reaching for nuclear weapons and using them, in which case I think we get involved in that conflict. I don't think we can stay out anymore. I don't want to see that happen. (laughs) And so I think that we need to start communicating that. And I've said this for a while now as this conflict has gone on in different venues and different uh, uh, places, but I, I do worry that what the U.S. wants and what Ukraine wants aren't the same thing. Um, but in our sort of haste to support them, uh, we've kind of punted on that question. And the United States has sort of let Ukraine's interests be our interests. And I don't think that is true. I don't think the American people would support uh, anything and everything. And I, and I think that with the election of especially some of the the recent house election um i think some of the limits of us support or or the limits of us goals in ukraine might start to s- bubble up to the surface some more and produce some difficult conversations i think that's why zelensky came to the united states in december right before christmas i think he wanted to come have a really good visit and drum up that sort of political support both in the White House and in Congress to say, we're going to keep, you know, we're going to keep the aid flowing. We're going to keep the support flowing. Uh, don't worry. We've, we've got you no matter what it takes. And based off of, you know, how the visit went, I think he might've gotten it right. It, it, I think he did very well for himself. And, you know, I, I do wonder if, if that's kind of punted this difficult conversation I talked about earlier into the future. So, uh, where do we suspect the new Congress uh, versus Joe Biden are on uh, having watched this conflict unfold and the sort of the trial balloons of maybe we should send more advanced, uh, powerful weaponry to Ukraine? So before the new Congress came in at the end of last year, the National Defense Authorization Act, which is this big, you know, annual military authorization and and sort of funding bill. It was passed by the Congress and it included a, I don't remember the dollar figure off the top of my head, but it included a rather large, you know, double digit billion sum of authorization for Biden to continue to give aid to Ukraine. So that, that bought him some runway, right? With that bill passed, he can affect, the Biden administration can effectively send a lot more aid to Ukraine without coming back to the Congress uh, because they've already given their approval. So it depends on how fast that aid gets used up and then where things are politically once that happens. Um, so in terms of how it could shake out, hard to say, right? If, if that runway of money starts to get tapped out and battlefield conditions in Ukraine are swinging heavily in Ukraine's favor, right? They're, they're, it looks like they might be able to win the conflict. I think there would be a very strong debate within Congress about, you know, do we, do we give them that last bit to, to win outright? Um, I think there would be some opposition from especially uh, some members of the House. You saw it a bit in the McCarthy uh, you know, saga for the speakership, uh, several Republicans wanting to, you know, put the brakes on uh, U.S. support and not write a blank check. Um, and if you if the situation is reversed and say, you know, the, the war re- remains a stalemate um, or Russia somehow reverses its momentum and starts winning again, I think there might be a 
a very real constituency within the Congress to say, look, we've given as much as we can. We're going to start putting either limits on what we can give or sort of shut off the support as a way to kind of force Ukraine to to negotiate an end to the conflict, um, whether or not they sort of want to. Um, so th- those are ways it could play out. But I think with that passage of the of the aid amount uh, in the NDAA in December, it the con- the last Congress kind of gave Biden much a lot of runway money wise to to keep the support going, uh, even if the you know new Congress might put up a few roadblocks. Um, I will note though that in the Senate, I think that there's. I, given how the elections turned out for for Dems in the Senate, I, I think that chamber would continue to be pretty pro uh, continuing sales to Ukraine, even if the House is 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 more sort of skeptical now. To the extent that the U.S. is providing more substantial hardware uh, to Ukraine, does that give some indication that the U.S. expects this war to go on for? another year or more? I think so. Uh, So what's when the U.S. started giving aid to Ukraine, when the war began, it was very much equipment that you could pick up and learn relatively quickly on. Right. It was stingers, which are shoulder mounted anti-aircraft missiles and javelins, uh, which are used to destroy tanks. And both of those are relatively quick to just pick up and learn. Yeah, it requires some training, but on the order of a couple days or um, maybe a week at max, the stuff that we're sending now, uh, and and I would include the the sort of Patriot air defense system and the Bradley, um, both of those require much more training to learn how to use them. They also have much more substantial uh, sustainment needs. So, you know, spare parts, fuel, uh, equipment, uh, upkeep and maintenance. And what's this has sort of been the trend line uh, over the course of the conflict is the stuff we're sending is getting more complex, requiring more training and being more logistically intensive to sustain. I think that shows that the U.S. thinks this war is going to go on for a long time because, you know, you sort of wouldn't give stuff like that uh, if you needed it to hit the battlefield right now because it's going to take a while to to get crews up to know how to use the thing and to get maintainers to know how to repair them. Um, another thing from Ukraine's perspective here is not only the U.S., but other European countries are sending more advanced systems uh, like the Germans, when the U.S. said that we're going to send the Bradley, the Germans said that they would send their equivalent vehicle, uh, which Nate, with, whose name escapes me. But I think this is showing that not only the United States, but other European countries are going to start funneling more advanced and more logistically intensive systems into Ukraine, which means that Ukraine is also going to be very dependent on Western countries to keep the the flow of just spare parts and that sort of sustainment equipment coming into the country. I think this is part of reflects a few things. Number one, like I said already, that the belief that the war is going to be quite long and going to keep dragging on. And number two, uh, part of the U.S. and NATO support is about moving Ukraine 
sort of away from older Russian equipment that it was a that it had when the war began and towards the sort of NATO Western uh, equipment set, um, which, you know, helps the Ukrainian military look more like our military or the German military. Um, but it also means that, well, the Ukrainians aren't able to really make that stuff on their own right now. And so that means they're going to be more tied into supply chains for weapon systems from the West, which raises a whole bunch of follow on questions about, well, you know, how much, how much and how long can the US continue to sustain? And what percentage does just sending stuff to Ukraine take up in terms of our other commitments and military interests around the world? Um, I know that, for example, there's been some concern that maybe uh, Taiwan could see some of its orders or its requests for US equipment get delayed or kicked down the road because some of that stuff is either being sent to Ukraine or we need to turn the supply chains towards sustaining the Ukraine fight and not supplying other partners. Uh, so that's a whole that could be a whole other podcast discussion. Um, but it is something that's interesting and an, an implication that I don't think many people are thinking about when it comes to these increasingly advanced systems and what it means for the long term. Eric Gomez is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. It is a new year. I want to thank everyone who supported the Cato podcast sponsor program with a gift. You can do so as well, of course. It's never too late. Visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor and thank you.